Out in Hollywood, the sensation of the moment is the picture called 42nd Street, into which Warner Brothers have put stars, girls, beauty, and talent in lavish quantities. 42nd Street is a story within a story, a show within a show, a backstage drama of kicking heels, smiling faces, and heavy hearts. It reveals the drama behind the production of a big Broadway musical, from the rehearsals to the grand finale. To bring this tremendous production to the screen, they've used 10 famous stars, including Veed Daniels, Warner Baxter, Ruby Keeler, George Brent, Dick Powell, Ginger Rogers, Una Merkel, Guy Kibbe, George E. Stone, Alan Jenkins, Lyle Talbot. 200 beautiful girls were picked from more than 5,000 applicants for work in these amazing chorus ensembles. Luxurious settings, spectacular dance routines set to the rhythm of inspiring music in scenes never before attempted on stage or screen. Hello and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter, the podcast that usually looks at the Best Picture winners and asks, does this Best Picture winner matter anymore? Is it still important or not? But we're doing something a little bit different on this particular episode. We are going to be looking at a Best Picture nominee and asking the question of should it have won, I guess, but also taking a look at the fact that maybe the award didn't matter in the first place. Uh, My name's Andrew Pearson. I'm joined by my co-host, Dave. Welcome, Dave. Thank you very much for joining us. That's this great film. Uh, Yeah. Of course. I'm excited to talk about a good 1933 movie. I'm very excited for this. And just to answer your question right up front, yes, this is the movie that should have won the Academy Award. Uh, like <laughs> I, you know, As every other film nerd does, I have a Letterboxd account. I give it four and a half out of five stars. I just think it's just beautiful. Like I, I love it. So I'm very excited to talk about this. Yeah, this is a really wonderful movie. And um, part of, I mean, as this podcast is called, awards don't matter and and part of the reason for this discussion is to highlight the question of what happens to the films that kind of outlasted the best picture winner culturally uh and and what that means and 42nd street for me at least it's a film that i grew up watching i i have loved it a lot and have enjoyed it uh, throughout my whole entire life i i think it is a really wonderful musical um, and yet, it didn't win Best Picture, yet it stands culturally as the more significant film from 1933 out of the nominees. Um, so what we're going to discuss here is just why this film matters so much and why it didn't matter that it didn't win Best Picture because it surpassed that that accolade. It surpassed that glory. And it's because this is just a downright entertaining film. It is a real treat of a film. Now, this was your first time watching it, is that right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. It, which is weird, not only because it's, like, so well-known and so highly thought of, but it's also a musical, which I love. Um, so it feels like something I should have watched by now. But, yeah, this is the first time I had ever seen 42nd Street. Uh, and it's it's always nice when a movie that's pretty highly thought of and a movie like you mentioned that you you watched as a kid and you've watched a bunch of times it's nice when you come in as a new viewer and you're not disappointed because sometimes you know movies that we watch as kids and like it's built into our nostalgia like oh this is great right and then someone watches it who's never seen it before and they're in their in my case in my 40s and they're like uh no actually this is terrible what do you what what was nine-year-old andrew thinking this is bad but no (laughs) 42nd Street is, it absolutely holds up. It's truly fantastic. It's like 
you know, we mentioned on the previous episode about it being like, you know, the backstage musical. And yeah, I guess technically it's not like the original, but I think it's like the it's the prototype um, for what the backstage musical would become. Um, and it's just hand- and I'm not sure there's maybe one movie I can think of that handles it better than 42nd Street. Um, but there's Which not many. That? Um, that is, is of course all that jazz. I mean, all that jazz is one of the, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. I think it's uh, just about perfect. Um, but does that exist without 42nd street? Maybe not. Not at all. No. And a lot of it comes down to, I mean, for the most part of this particular film, it is about the making of a stage musical. Uh, and it, it sets it up. The, the setup for this film is really brilliant because it's they're in the depths of the depression. It's 1932, and they are going to be putting on a musical called Pretty Lady, and the uh, the, the the director of it, Julian Marsh, is uh, he needs this particular musical to be a major success, or else who knows he might uh he might be uh in a real spot of bother we're never really given a great glimpse into what kind of spot of bother he might be in but it doesn't matter the mere fact is that we know that he needs this musical to be a success because his future depends on it and there is a financial guy that kind of uh comes along and says hey I'll give you $70,000 to get this musical going if you put Dorothy Brock, who is played by B.B. Daniels, in it and, uh, you know, let me spend some time with her. It's kind of the only cringy part of it, but it's an element of its time. You know, this is certainly... Uh, there is discussions about casting couches in this particular film and there is an open aspect of coercion and discussion uh, with Dorothy to say... You need to spend some time with this wealthy guy. Otherwise, you know, 200 people are going to be out of a job and it's the depression and, you know, they need to be fed and housed and all this kind of stuff. So there's a bit of coercion there. Uh, And yeah, basically the film follows through the the creation of this musical and also deals with a really, really uh, wonderful character, I think is just adorable Peggy Sawyer played by Ruby Keeler who ends up becoming the person who takes over the lead role uh, in the musical at the end um, this is just a delight of a film I I don't know it just feels like a bit of a warm hug it's not specifically about anything at all it's just about you know people getting together and making something happen in the depression and it's never really focused on the depression or anything it's not like a pointed thing they do mention it a couple of times but it's not like a looming figure over it everything uh, but it's just people coming together making musical happen and sometimes that's enough a bit like grand hotel when we talked about that film that's not really you know thematically about anything in depth but it's just a really fun, entertaining film to watch. And that's what 42nd Street is. And that might be why it's endured so long. Uh, is that what you think as well? Is it maybe the music that has carried this through so long? I don't think it's even just the music. I think it's the attitude. Like, it is just, like you mentioned, it does feel like a hug. It's nice, but without being trickily sweet. Um, I think, And I think it's really impressive, not only to do it then but to watch it now given the fact that it's you know the the depression is the backdrop for this because that's really easy uh to be a huge mistake 
Um, during during the time it happened, I mean, it was very close to this happening. I mean, the stock market crash was in 1929. Um, this movie came out in 1933. Um, so the fact that like this is this is a very recent history that they're talking about here, and a time when a lot of people lost their jobs and were homeless and went through some terrible things. And I think, but sometimes when you view it through a modern lens, you're like, oh, well, that feels very uh, insensitive. Um, but it never feels that way because, like you said, they don't dwell on it. Um, they just kind of they keep that as like, OK, this is this is what's pushing the story forward in the beginning. But then very quickly, within like 15 minutes of film, you're falling in love with these characters. Like just the the introduction uh, of our characters, like, you know, auditioning for this musical is so endearing. Like I just <laughs> I loved every second of that. Like it, it, it very easily could have been vicious and much more backstabbing going on. But it's like it, even the like the bits about the casting couch, which is like not great. It's still like endearing the whole time. Like I just I just don't know how you could watch this movie and not be kind of swept away with it. Yeah. Well, especially because, I mean, specifically talking about the casting couch, the the character is Abner Dillon, who's played by Guy, Guy Kibbe. And the film eagerly shows him as being slightly, well, not slightly, he's dumb. And, you know, so so pointedly focused on his strength and his, uh, you know, there's a point later on in the film where he tears a phone book in half and it's like, you know, every, he expects everybody to celebrate him. But the film actively circles out, like characters say, boy, this guy really is dumb and we don't want him to know he's dumb, but he is dumb. And that kind of puts the the aspect of the casting couch on a pedestal in the sense of like, we're going to laugh at this. It's not great. It exists. It's part of our world, but we're going to laugh at it because this is the person who is there. It's not condemning it, but it's just kind of making fun of it. And that I really enjoyed. Um, but there's also kind of, as you were saying, it's not a nasty film, but there are pointed barbs from some of the characters that just carry a little bit of bite that is just so wonderful. Like early on, there's two girls who are auditioning and, one of them says to another person, you know, I love this line so much. It's like, she says something along the lines of, oh, I'm sorry, sorry that your mother didn't have a child. And it's like, <laughs> it's a great line. What it's a brilliant so... line. What an excellent line. And it's so pointed and so brutal, but yet also kind of harmless in a way too. Um, but that's what kind of dialogue this film has. And it makes it so delightful to spend time with and to just listen to as well. The characters, there is a cadence to the way they talk that is just so enjoyable. And they're also really nice to look at as well. And I'm not, you know, pointedly being, um, you know, about looks or anything, but the costumes are done by Ori Kelly, who, if people don't know who Ori Kelly is, there's a documentary called Women He's Undressed. I highly recommend you watch that. Um, but he is also, like, if you've seen Some Like It Hot, he did a lot of the costumes for a lot of the, the, the women in Hollywood. He's from Australia, so celebrate the Australians here, but he is somebody who, if you saw a musical or a film with Marilyn Monroe or even Betty Davis as well, he did a lot of their costumes. And that part of this uh, film helps elevate it even more. It makes it just a wonderful film to look at. Everybody looks nice. Everybody looks neat. And that's a treat too. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's interesting. Those There are many pointed barbs in this movie and some lines that could be read as cruel. Um, but I think, you know, we should take some time to, like, give some shine to the actresses delivering those lines because if they if they played this differently, this would be a mean movie. Um, all of the material is there for this to be vicious. Uh, but all these like barbed lines are said kind of offhandedly and kind of with a smirk, and they're so well-performed that you can't bring yourself to hate them. You're like, and you laugh along with them, and it's enjoyable. Um, so I think their performances are what does that. I don't think that's something in the script. Like, if you just read the script straight face, like, this could be truly mean. Um, but that kind of genuineness that you have with, you know, Una Merkel, Ruby Keeler, Ginger Rogers, like, they're just wonderful. Uh, and you can't help but just kind of love them, even when they're saying these terrible things. And And you also, you know, mentioned the music. I mean... There's at least two songs in here that, you know, people probably still know now or at least know of. You know, one of them is 42nd Street. the other one shuffle off to buffalo like that is a part of the cultural lexicon and it's there's a great music here and again like it's nice to talk about a musical and the academy awards and it not be the broadway melody and actually have memorable songs and memorable dance numbers of course this is busby berkeley this is like the quintessential um kind of musical production and i like that you get to see that musical production that choreography kind of built on screen um as you as you kind of move through the movie so it's like it's got a kind of meta quality to it um so it's not just a musical but it's a musical about musicals uh and i just kind of love that and i you know i love all the kind of blow-ups of the director like you just can't handle it and him kind of freaking out you know like and it's it's done in such a way that is not overblown um that's another area where it could go over the top and then you're like oh i don't want to listen to this guy anymore but it's just enough it's like it's kind of a perfectly directed movie like the the reins here are really tight and he and he knows exactly what he's doing yeah yeah it really is and i think what i like about it the most is that as you were saying, all of those those characters and all the actors, they all there's no um you know, there there are disagreements and there are arguments and stuff like that, but there is a unity to everything. Everybody feels like they're working for the same goal. So much so to the point where when Dorothy does uh, have suffer an injury later on in the film and she is taken out of the role of being lead actress and essentially because he is the financier for this particular uh, musical um, they look to Abner as the person to decide who the next who the actress will be to replace him and he chooses somebody else who instead of taking the role uh, says no no I think that Peggy Sawyer should actually take the role because she has the the dancing skills that really go far and initially the director questions it and she's like look you know i want this position as much as everybody else but this girl is talented and you believe that coming from all the actresses you believe it because they are talented for starters but they believe their character's journey and they believe that we're all in this together and we've all got to you know do this as best as you can and the musical is a success at the end and there is a bit of a, a kind of 
a welcome kind of conclusion to this film. Uh, the the last few songs are those Busby Berkeley moments, and then it just kind of ends, and that's fine uh, because we don't need much more than that. But we know that this is going to be a success. We know it's going to be a huge success, and we're on the journey with all of these characters and. They're all just likable people. Even the despicable Abner is a likable person. Like he is, he is outwardly grotesque, but he is still, he's you know, you're not offended when he's on screen. Uh, and right. all of these right. characters are just nice to be with. And yeah, I just like that part yeah. the most. It's so sweet. <laughs> you know, the other thing, the other thing I love about this movie is that finally, I guess Hollywood has figured out how to film a musical. Oh, yeah. um, because this is <laughs> this is one of the things we complained about with Broadway Melody, where it's like even the even the big dance musical numbers, you're like, what is going on with the camera here? Like you're just you're saying because like musicals by their nature have a lot of kinetic energy. There's a lot of movement to what's going on. So if if you just set the film on a tripod and let the movement happen, then you don't get that energy. And I think this film really understands that. And there's a really well-known uh, kind of tracking shot that goes between the dancer's legs uh, in this movie. And it's, man, that shot really holds up. Like, that feels modern. That feels energetic. And it finally, finally, as someone who's a fan of musicals, finally we get to talk about a musical on here that not only has great music, not only has great dancing, but also the film has an understanding of what makes a musical exciting. Uh, and I think you really get that here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. And it, it, But it comes down to the Busby Berkeley stuff, I think. Like, there is so much of that. There is a reason why his name, even if people haven't seen musicals or his musicals in particular you know off that name you know who he was as a person and it's those shots those aerial shots the over the top shots of the dancing and stuff that you know logically as you're sitting there watching it's like all right the people in the audience in that theater that are actually watching this musical none of them can see that but the film knows that and it doesn't matter because you're at home or you're in a cinema watching this particular film and you can see it yourself. And that's who this is for. And, yeah. you know, the, it's the actually cinematic. Is, exactly. It's like sometimes you go like yeah. sometimes you watch a stage play that's transferred to a movie screen and you're like, so why did we do this? Why do we bother? Like we're seeing the same thing we would see in a theater um, and now we're in a cinema and seeing it. And this, this film is not that. And it's like, I love that when a director and a director of photography will take advantage of all the advantages that they have in using more than one camera, having movement, having different angles, having different perspectives. That's what makes cinema cinema, uh, is taking advantage of that. If you're, I mean, I could do that if you're just going to like set up a camera, you know, facing straight onto the stage. I mean, I could go buy a camera and a tripod and press record, and I've done the same thing as you did. So let's really stretch this. Let's make an effort. And this movie definitely does that and is kind of a wild success. Yeah. But even then, like, adding to that, too, is, like, the the film actively broaches the, the – or breaches, rather, is the correct term um, – the, the constraints of – a stage musical like at the end there is uh, multiple cars on stage uh there is a person doing corsage with a horse going across stage um there is transforming sets and for a small budget production you know that that's not happening you know that if, with seventy thousand dollars they couldn't afford to do that 
Um, but that doesn't matter because it's a whole. The whole point is giving you the experience of what it would be like to watch that particular musical in the theatre with them. And it's energetic, it's thrilling, it's exciting. And it's part of the reason a film like 42nd Street has carried through, you know, almost 100 years of, of film history. People still watch this film and celebrate a lot because it is important and it, it, it's a valuable film because it sets so much of the tone for this kind of musical going forward. And and certainly, I mean, Busby Berkeley had done work prior to this film. Um, I haven't seen much of his earlier work uh, before 42nd Street, but after this, he certainly uh, really took an impact on, on musical cinema. And um, the choreography that he had really impacted the, the, the landscape going forward. So much so that I think that... Um, in a few future Academy Awards ceremonies, they did actually give an Oscar for uh, Best Dance Choreography. And whether that happened, uh, I, I can't remember exactly when that happened, but I imagine it's because of somebody like Busby Berkeley that they went, well, this is something we should really pay attention to and actually get uh, people you know, rewarded for organizing and choreographing this kind of dancing. Um, he also did work for uh, Wizard of Oz as well. Uh, so that certainly, you know, that kind of dancing is there too. And looking forward, it, it reminds me of you know, one of my favorite Best Picture winners um, is mostly because I like the musical a lot. But Chicago, I'm a big fan of that film. But one of the notorious parts of that was that Richard Gere couldn't sing or dance. And so they cut the film around him. They edited the film around his inability to dance, which then affected how the film was edited to the point where other dancers, you know, they were kind of uh, lessened and, and their their quality of dancing was reduced because of one person. And it makes me, you know, it makes me sad that we don't celebrate uh, dance movie, movies or musicals as much as we should do and don't celebrate the talents of dancers as much as we should do because that's how you end up with somebody like Richard Gere who can't sing or dance in a musical which is full of singing and dancing. And I wish that we'd look at 42nd Street and go, yeah, we need more of this because somebody like Ruby Keeler is just, I think that she is just a, a dream. I think that she is just a treat to watch on on film. And the last 20 minutes of this movie, which is mostly her on stage, is just electric. I could rewatch that endlessly. I think it's beautiful. Um, what about you? What do you what do you think that modern cinema could take away from Forty Second Street? I mean, I think you brought up a lot of really good points, especially like actually casting people who can sing and dance as opposed to just uh, name recognition. I mean, you brought up Richard Gere. The thing that makes me think of is Russell Crowe uh, in oh, yes. the most recent version of Les Miserables, uh, who I think I think Russell Crowe is actually a pretty phenomenal actor. But uh, the man's singing voice is just about as bad as mine. Um, so he has no business being in any musical, let alone one of the lead characters and one of the most highly thought of musicals uh, ever produced. Uh, probably not a good call. Uh, so definitely, definitely do that. Um, also, as I kind of mentioned earlier, make use of the technology that you have. Um, and don't just debate because I think I think one of the mistakes that has happened because musicals have fallen out of favor in terms of film is now there's like less 
imagination into making these films. It's like, well, now we're only making it for people who like musicals, so we'll just we'll just do you know the bare minimum. Uh, we'll have the songs, we'll have a couple decent actors, and that's fine. Um, but actually take some risks. And I think this movie definitely does that. Um, and also like focusing on character work. I think the reason this works, like the music is great. The dancing is great, but that is not what makes it, um, one to remember. That is not what makes it a classic. What makes it a classic is that we care about these characters and that there's some sort of engagement from the audience. Um, and they do that in a number of ways. One of the ways is not having any truly despicable characters, um, even the quote-unquote villains of the piece, of which there really are none. Um, so we're engaged with everyone just moving forward. And I, I think I think that's sometimes the mistake we get, not only from musicals on screen, but in musicals in general, when you have characters that are just despicable. And, you, you know, it's the same thing with, like, superhero movies when everything got really dark and grimy, then it's just like, ah, I don't know if I can even get into this anymore. So, and musicals, especially, um, you're going to get that excess of emotion no matter what. Um, so if you're going to have excess of negative emotion, that's going to affect your audience. So I think, you know, I think, uh, films now could learn from this movie by just being a little more joyful. Um, and this is, you know, and we don't get that a lot anymore because I think sometimes, Maybe studios think audiences are like, oh, we're too cynical now, so we don't need joy. But, like, this is exactly what we need. Um, and you mentioned that last 20 minutes, and that last 20 minutes is great. And you know what that last 20 minutes reminds me of, Andrew? You're going to hate this. It reminds <laughs> me of Box, Box Lux, uh, where oh, you have, Jesus. like, the last 30 or 40 minutes just being <laughs> Natalie Portman on stage singing and dancing and having a wonderful time. So, uh, so obviously, this will be as great, just about as good as Box Lux. It's better than Vox Lux, that's for sure. That's for sure. I think um, I gave them the same rating, actually. I think I gave them both four and a half stars. <laughs> but one of, I mean, yeah. One of the things I, I, I want to touch on is, yeah, like, it is a film that is all about joy. Like, it is such a purely joyous film. And coming at the end of the Depression and coming at the end of, you know, a, a really terrible time in American history... Um, I'm curious as well whether, like, we're currently in a terrible time in world history as a whole. Um, I'm currently wondering whether a film like this could actually be successful nowadays. Or are we, modern people, are we too cynical or too focused on um, the hate and the anger that is occurring in our current world to even recognize or embrace a film that is outwardly joyous. Uh, I ask this question mostly because I think that our modern sensibility would look at a film like 42nd Street if it was released today and say it's not doing X, Y, and Z. It's not touching on the issues of today and stuff like that. From our modern perspective, we expect films to comment on society at large right now. Um, And... I don't know if a film that is purely joyous like this could succeed. Do you think it could? Mm. I do. Um, So I think when, especially in America, which is where, you know, a lot of kind of the film community kind of bursts from, like a lot lot is dependent on American audiences and American budgets and all that stuff. Um, When we go through terrible times, and right now is a terrible time, for those who don't know, we are recording, you know, still during a pandemic and still during, uh, you know, nationwide protests over the the killing of of, uh, black people by police. 
Um, so obviously, truly a terrible, difficult time. I think there are two things that movie audiences want. Uh, and unfortunately, we can't really get any of them because uh, cinemas aren't even open. So that that is disappointing. But there are two things that we want. We want um, things that actually comment on what's going on um, to start that conversation again or continue that conversation. But then we also want fodder. We want distraction. Uh, we want something that makes us feel good. Right. So I think there's room for both. And I think this is a movie, obviously not this exact movie because it's already been made. But I think if something joyful were to come out right now, I mean, so I hate, I hate, hate, hate bringing this up. You know this. But like this is why a movie like Paddington 2 got such a strong reaction. <laughs> Because oh, it's nice. I love nice. you for saying that. I love you for saying it's that. It's nice. Yes. <laughs> it's nice and it's joyful. Um, and people need that when things are bad. Um, and that is the, the last nice thing I will say about Paddington 2. So, yes, this is, this is a type of movie that still can uh, be successful and be something that we want. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. I, 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 I can see where you're coming <laughs> from. I disagree. I don't, I don't know if, if, Certainly, the film appreciation side of um, film community would um, accept it, but uh, nonetheless, I, um, it's not something we'll get to see, unfortunately. But I'm just—I find it curious uh, seeing what kind of films came out at what certain times, and we'll certainly, when we start to discuss the films of the 1940s, the early 1940s, I find that era very fascinating because you know one of the biggest tragedies in world history was taking place and i'm curious about what films were being made at that point to you know for a lot of people films are a source of entertainment a source of distraction a source of um you know joy and certainly from an australian perspective one of the main things that i hear about people who don't want to see australian films is that they often go about australian films are so serious and so dark and depressing and it's like well i i like those kinds of films but I understand the viewpoint that a lot of people have that they go to a movie to be entertained or to have their worries uh, taken away from them for a period of time. And 42nd Street is exactly that kind of film. Like I've watched it today and I've been, and I, I feel lighter after having watched it. And the, the worries of the world still exist, but I'm like, oh, that's 90 minutes that I feel good. Uh, yeah. And it's good. We need those kinds of films. We do. Uh, we really do. And sometimes it takes us to take a little bit of a step back and go, yeah, that's all I needed. I just need something positive and sweet. And there is darkness in Paddington too as well to, you know, it's a good, re it's a good reference. I think uh, certainly because the film community at large just love that film a lot. Um, but it is also a, a saccharine sweet film too, in a lot of ways. Uh, which is fine. Yeah, it is terrible. You're right. That's, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's another point which I want to bring up as well. And this is from Wikipedia, the greatest source of truth uh, everywhere, of course. Obviously. Um, yes. But 42nd Street was a film that was based on a novel, a novel written by Bradford Ropes. And in the, the book, uh, two characters, Julian Marsh, the director, and Billy Lawler, one of the singers, are lovers. And because of the moral standards of the era, uh, that same-sex relationship was changed and it was not accepted at that time to be presented on film. So hence why the relationship was changed to be Billy and Peggy. Um, I'm curious, do you think, how do you think this film would have been different if they were allowed to show a 
gay relationship on film. Do you think that, I mean, I, I, it's the, uh, the public perception of Broadway in a lot of ways is that the men on Broadway are mostly gay. And so therefore, and this is generalization, of course, I, I want to stress, but it would be nice for a film that is about, uh, Broadway and musicals and all this kind of stuff to at least have had a gay relationship in there. And of course, in the original text, it was there. Uh, But yeah, how different do you think this film would have been if they were able to show Julian and Billy be partners? You know, it's interesting. I really, I I read that too and kind of struggled with it uh, because obviously, especially back then, it would have been nice to see Mm. an actual gay relationship on screen. I think that would be a cool thing. But also, I really like the relationship that is in the movie. Um, So so I feel like, I mean, I hate saying this as a queer person, but I do feel like um, it would take away from, uh, from the movie that is. Um, so like, do I want more queer relationships on screen? Absolutely. Do I want that particular one? Maybe not. Hmm. Interesting. I'm curious as well, because this is a film that, uh, well, this is a musical, at least it is endured. It's endured on stage. Uh, it's had a life on stage. Um, and yet it is mostly following the format of this film and not the, the text itself. Um, I'm curious I haven't done the research into it, but I'm curious if there would be uh, a gay relationship shown on stage in an adaptation of this. I would like to see that. It would be a nice kind of um, honouring the original text for the, this film because, um, yeah, I think that I agree with you. The The relationships in this movie work so well. It's been adapted perfectly and they did adjust that really well. And to the point where the character of um, Julian... You know, you you can't really see him having a relationship with anybody else because he is so focused on having that musical be a success that to throw him into a relationship with somebody else would just be another spanner in the works for him to deal with that the film doesn't have the time to for him to process because he's not the main focus of the narrative. Um, but yeah, it, of course we want to see more... Uh, gay stories on film uh, and especially from this era it would be nice if there wasn't a you know a a code that says no you you can't do that you know and that's one of the that's one of the issues with addressing these older films is that there was a standard placed on them that they had to follow and that although although in this case this is more about the moral standards of the day because this was before the code was instituted true Um, so this is this is just like what 1933 was like like you couldn't you couldn't be out um and gay in 1933 and they certainly weren't going to put it in a in a movie they wanted to be successful i think in an interesting way i think um if if they had done that, this movie would be remembered, but for a different reason, right? It would be remembered like, oh, someone took a risk and they had a, a gay relationship on screen in 1933 and oh my god, as opposed to being remembered as a great musical. Um, I think you bring up an interesting point, too, about this idea of like maybe wanting to see a newer version of this, whether on stage or on screen, um, that had that you know, kind of reinstituted like the book was. I think the only issue with that is I think a lot of people, if they were going to go see 42nd Street, it's because they've seen the movie, not that they've read the book, and they want to see the story that they know shown on stage, right? So that might get a negative reaction even now. Um, so it's definitely it's definitely complex. Yeah. 
But I think that's I, I think that's actually a great point because it is it is such it has become such an enduring classic that it has lived on in so many different ways, in so many different formats. There has been a remake and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's endured because the the original is so good. And it's a lot of, in a similar way to Grand Hotel, which won, and there was a remake of that later on, which um haven't seen, but the reports of that weren't so crash hot. But, you know, there are people who want to imitate the original because it's so good. And we'll find that later on when we come to Ben-Hur as well, you know, which in itself was a remake too. And that's a story which, um, you know, it's endured. And I think we'll, as we go through these films, we'll find these stories that just hit the right spot and they endure and they become classics and they stick in time and people want to retell them for some reason. And I think the reason why people want to retell this is just because everything that we've said, it's just a delight. It's just wonderful. So it doesn't matter that it didn't win Best Picture. I don't know if that's the right question to ask, but it's, um, you know, I think that's part of, as we discussed these films that were nominated for Best Picture um, and didn't win, I think that's that's kind of like the the whole point of the 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 thesis of this show is the award didn't matter for this particular film. It didn't because it's so great. Yeah. It's such a wonderful Agreed. Film. Yeah. Yeah, the the award definitely doesn't matter, the film definitely does matter. Like let me just give you a list of movies, okay? Kiss Me Kate, The Bandwagon, Gypsy, Cabaret, Follies, um all that jazz, A Chorus Line, Black Swan. None of these movies exist without 42nd Street. Like, this this was the original backstage musical. This gave them the prototype. And we got, like, at least there, like, 10 to a dozen great movies because of 42nd Street. Do I wish that this had won the award and that it was seen as an Academy Award winner? Absolutely, yes, I do. Does it matter in the long run? Absolutely not, because we have a whole new genre of film that was created because of 42nd Street. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I I think that um you know, part of the reason why we're doing this show is to explore the Academy Awards and and their importance in history, but um talking about a film like this, I think shows that, you know, the Oscars sometimes don't matter at all, even though they are very important. They are vitally important because of the way that they highlight and elevate people and elevate stories and and form careers and change careers and change lives. Um they're also kind of it's shown to be a small non-entity in the shadow of a film like 42nd street which is larger than an academy award it's larger than that it's bigger and we'll find that as we go along again citizen kane is another film where it's like it doesn't matter that that didn't win best picture because it stood the test of time um and i think i think one of the questions i want to ask you is that like how important is it for certain films to stand the test of time? And how important is it for you as a person who watches movies uh, for these massive films, for these hugely uh, successful, critically successful films to stand the test of time? What does that mean for you as a film viewer? Um, I think it's definitely important and I think it's, but it's also something that hasn't been valued enough um, in terms of these older films, and I'm just as guilty of that as as uh, a number of other people are. But I think it's important to go back, and it's important to understand the roots, and it's important that um, 
you know, film historians, uh, film preservationists are doing an honorable are doing honorable work. Like if you look at, you know, even someone as well known as Martin Scorsese, like what he's done for not only world cinema but also in preserving older films, I think is really important uh, because I think our history. I think. I think film, even a film like 42nd Street, which is pretty light fare and a warm hug, as you mentioned, um, it says something about our culture. It says something about our world. And I think if we negate our art and if we don't hold it up and hold it to standards, then I think we're really missing out. So, yeah, I think it is desperately important. Um, it's easy to say it's just a movie, it's just an album, it's just a TV show, like whatever it is. But these things do actually matter. It's the way – art is the way we process our our global and cultural emotions and our strife. Uh, and sometimes we do it by striking back at what's happening, and sometimes we do it in ways like this where we need something positive. And both of those are just as important. And I think if we ignore that, then we're not learning the lessons from history that we need to. Yeah. That's a perfect way to wrap this up, I think. That's perfect. Um, Because this is just, yeah. As we've said time and time again on this particular episode, it is a a great film. It is an immediate classic. And uh, if you haven't seen 42nd Street, um, a lot of what makes it great is watching it. You know, the plot kind of doesn't matter with a film like this because it's all in the moment you're all in there and enjoying uh, what you're watching you're watching the feet move the the women dance and the costumes and hearing the music and stuff like that and what songs the songs are so good there's a reason why they stand the test of time 42nd street is a wonderful song but shuffle off to buffalo is a beautiful song too um and the kind of ironic i'm young and healthy is like it's kitschy but it's enjoyable as well uh and that is all stuff that you know we can talk about on a podcast till the cows come home but i think that when you're sitting there and actually watching it um yeah this is the kind of thing which i really want people to seek and actually watch because uh it's the kind of film that i think just because it's old you know people might neglect it or just because it's you know they're not familiar with the songs or it's not their style of music or their style of dancing uh they might you know, turn off it or anything like that, but please do seek it out. It's only 90 minutes long. That shouldn't be a reason to seek it out just because of its length. But if you're afraid of it, then, um, you know, hopefully our words of encouragement get you to seek out this film because it's wonderful. It's a real treat. Um, yeah. So that's 42nd Street. Uh, beautiful film. Absolutely wonderful. Um, on the next episode, we're going to be discussing the 7th Academy Awards, which uh, is the first time that uh, the Big Five were won by one film. Uh, it is It Happened One Night, directed by Frank Capra. Uh, it won Best Actress and Best Actor and also won Best Screenplay as well. Uh, and so, yeah. We're going to be discussing that film. Um, in the meantime, uh, you can find us on social media, Awards Don't Pod on Twitter, Awards Don't Matter on Facebook, and send us an email if you want, awardsdontmatterpod at gmail.com. And Dave, where can people find you on all of the plentitude of podcasts <laughs> Yeah, I think the best place to follow me is uh, for another one of my podcasts called A Podcast Directed By. Check, out, check us out at Directed By Pod. I'll try to 
Have you in mind?